Our scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Exodus chapter 20. I'll be reading verse 3 for us, which is the first commandment. In the Pew Bible, which should be available somewhere in front of you, in the, the aisle in front of you, that's on page 61. Again, reading from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. As we start almost a topical mini-series in the book of Exodus, we begin with the arguably first and most important of the Ten Commandments. It has been said that there are two tables of the law, how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the first four commandments would be focused on how we love the Lord. The last six are focused on how to love our neighbors. However, by breaking one of the last six, even by breaking commandments two through four, we're breaking the first commandment, which is why I would argue it is a key cornerstone to all of our spiritual life, to all of the imperatives and all of Scripture. And This morning, a few things we can pull just from a few words. Firstly, we are called this morning to recognize that there are no other gods. Secondly, we are to serve the one true God. And thirdly, we are to rest in His Son. A couple of things about recognizing that there are no other gods. Very simple and basic. Other gods don't exist. They simply don't exist. The first commandment is not trying to communicate that there are other real gods, as in there are other ones that you're to put away because they really exist and only worship the one and true God. We often tell uh, our covenant kids who are taking membership vows with us as a session that if Jesus is the only way of salvation, then that means Obviously, you can't get to heaven without Him. And what does that mean for people who do not know Him? They perish. Jews who don't believe in Jesus don't have salvation as they don't serve the real God. Buddhist Muslims do not believe in the true God and therefore serve gods that aren't real. In Moses' own context, everyone was polytheistic. Everyone else, the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and they all served many gods, and they may have been okay for you to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as long as you weren't exclusive about it. But if you think about 1 Samuel chapters 4 and 5, When the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the presence of the Lord, the Philistines put the Ark into the house of Dagon, their god. But they kept going in in the morning. And if you remember the story, Dagon's statue 
was face down every morning before the Ark of the Covenant. What do you think was being communicated there? Not that Dagon was real and he was worshiping Yahweh, but that he's just a statue. Yahweh is the one true God. Eventually they would walk in and Dagon's head and hands had been removed. 1 Kings chapter 18 records the prophet Elijah facing 450 prophets of Baal and they tried to prove that their God was the one who was real. They mutilated themselves. They gained all kinds of sacrifices and Elijah said, well, worship him if he's real. Cause these animals to be consumed by fire. And they couldn't. And Elijah douses all of the animals into water and calls on the name of the one true God who comes down and consumes all the sacrifices with fire. Not because there was any real competition against equal powers, but there is only one power. There's only one true God. That is what is being stated here. Those other gods don't exist. They're not real. But obviously the, the opposite is true. If, if they don't exist, part of what the commandment is actually saying here is we have to recognize He does. He does exist. The point in 1 Samuel 5 and 1 Kings 18 is to prove that our God is alive. He is real. He answers prayer. He's the creator of all things. The God in the ark overpowered the Philistines with diseases like he did the Egyptians. He came down and then consumed all the sacrifices of the prophets of Baal. And he consumed the prophets of Baal. 450 of them. That day. Genesis 1 and 2 is real history. It really happened that way. God really created all things. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I told you I was going to step on all kinds of toes in the Ten Commandments. Paul will say the same thing in Romans 1. Everyone is without an excuse. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. There are no true, honest atheists. Looking at the creation, you see a Creator. But we're in rebellion against Him and don't want to see it. That's the problem. No one is an atheist in the midst of suffering. You may have noticed on the news that there was the acknowledgement of God even in the NFL recently. If you witnessed the catastrophe that happened on the field in Cincinnati last Monday night, what did you see? Kneeling in prayer. All of a sudden, we can do that publicly in the NFL. Because someone's near death on the field. Nobody else has an answer for this. But people who don't go to church, who don't claim to be a Christian, fall on their knees as medical personnel flood the field 
And even an ESPN analyst will pray on TV. But this week, maybe that won't be allowed. Why wouldn't it be? The one true God exists. He is real. And he answers prayer. One could argue that atheism is a religion of the privileged. Because it's us saying to God, we don't need you. I can handle it myself. Until I can't. And I crawl to you. Only to run away when the suffering goes away. Atheism, I did know sociological study, is probably rooted mostly in the West, as opposed to South America and Africa in the second and third world. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis recounts his own time of atheism and his argument against God because the world seemed so cruel and unjust. And then he says, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Help is needed for our brothers and sisters in our own community who are suffering, who are doubting, and who are questioning. But help is also needed for those in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, who proclaim that there is no God, or that He isn't the God of the Bible, or that we should worship the God of the Bible, but every other God. And that's okay, because tolerance is king. In a sister denomination, the OPC, I ordered uh, three little leaflets that I've seen another OPC teaching out or give at a bus station in Reno, Nevada, that are leaflets of evangelism that he'll, he'll give to people and introduce them to the Lord and say, take this, it's a little, little thing. What a, what a wonderful idea for any of us to do, to say there is one true God. And I need to confront you with that truth. If you have a friend who's an atheist, struggling with the existence of God, I also highly recommend The Reason for God by Tim Keller. He helps us understand that we have to doubt even our doubts about Christianity. And we should pray for those in our midst who walk in falsehood, proclaiming that there is no God. Because the first commandment is so crucial to the rest of how all of life works, and it proclaims there is a God, but there's only one. No other world religion is correct or the right path or okay. But then what, what's the response to this when we do recognize that there is only one true God? The response would be to serve the one true God. What do I mean by that? Firstly, I mean serve only Him with a whole heart. What does it mean to have no other gods before me? What does he mean by before me? My Old Testament professor, um, Jay Sklar, he says it can mean no other gods instead of me or no other gods in addition to me. So 
We're not adding another God to the pantheon of gods. We're not going to do that. Like the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, and the Egyptians, and the Assyrians, and many people today. But we're also not going to replace him in our hearts with anything else. Kevin DeYoung writes, The gods of this world are only so-called gods. They have no ontological existence. There is only one supreme being in the universe, and he demands to be worshipped alone. Matthew 6.24 records Jesus saying, We can't serve two masters. Multiple commentaries that I read mentioned the command is either or, not both and. Dutch theologian Dalma says to love means to stick with your choice. Another catechism that is so good on the Ten Commandments would be the Heidelberg Catechism. Number 94 speaks about keeping the first commandment with a whole heart. What does God enjoin to the first commandment, they say? To trust Him alone with humility and patience. Submit to Him. What do we mean by with a whole heart? Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The word there translated blameless. It can mean perfection without spot or wrinkle. Wholly intended to serve none other than God. He obeyed God, as you remember, by building the ark. He had no idea, really, if a flood was actually coming. But he was a righteous man. He walked with God. He obeyed God, but he did it blamelessly, which means with a whole heart, fully intentional. You remember the sacrifices in Leviticus are supposed to be blameless in the sense that they're spotless, without blemish. There's another example of what it means to love the Lord our God with a whole heart. Matthew, I'm I'm going to turn there, you don't have to. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. Very familiar story. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? About what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, or blameless, or without spot or blemish. Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's not works-based righteousness. That's not saying that to follow Jesus, you have to fully impoverish yourself. Although if you're so inclined, we did set up a building and land fund. You can talk to Andrew about that afterward. Uh, Whatever. 
that man came in contact with the second person of the Trinity, he could not worship him with the whole heart. There was something in his life that was more precious to him than the Lord. And it was his money. It was his possessions. It was his stuff. But that's the same word used in Genesis 6 to describe Noah. Noah would would be willing to worship the Lord with the whole heart and serve only him. Not his stuff. Not his finances. Not his family. Not his stomach. Nothing else. But the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He was self-sufficient in his own life, or so he thought, and did not need the Lord. But he had kept many of the other commandments. But remember what I said at the beginning. If you break the first one, you can't keep the rest. And if you break the rest, you've broken the first commandment. This is chief. So we can't, we have to be willing to serve the Lord, our God, Him alone with the whole heart, fully intended, with no other distractions. But that also means that we have to refuse to serve idols. Back to the Heidelberg Catechism number 95, it actually defines idolatry for us. Idolatry is instead of or beside that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. Anything that you put your trust in more than the Lord Jesus will bankrupt your soul, will leave you with nothing, will give you no eternal life, will give you no pleasure, will not save you. According to the Heidelberg Catechism, that is very broad. Dalma again says, people worship powerful forces within creation as if these were deities. Paul confronted this in 1 Corinthians 8. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there are so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. These things we serve don't exist. Some biblical examples, Habakkuk 1.11, man can have his strength as a god. Job 31.24, gold can be your confidence. Matthew 6.24 also says money can be called mammon. Philippians 3.19 says we can make our stomach our god. Colossians 3.5 says all covetousness is idolatry. Wanting anything that's not yours, anything, is idolatry. 300 years ago, Tom Watson said to trust in anything more than God is to make it a god. If we trust in the arm of flesh, we make it a God. If we trust in our wisdom, we make it a God. If we trust in our civility, we make it a God. If we trust in our duties to save us, we make them a God. If we trust in our grace, we make God of it. To love anything more than God is to make it a God. If we love our pleasure more than God, we make it a God. If we love our belly more than God, we make God of it. If we love a child, more than God. We make it a God. 
nothing else in our life can come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Or it will be idolatry. And it will bankrupt us. It will destroy us. We must look at the rest of the commandments. Say, what, what else do I want to do on the Lord's day on the Sabbath other than worship Him? What other gods are in my heart? What do I want that's not mine? That I want to steal? Or that I covet? That, that I wish the Lord had given me? Even my own spouse? Even my desire for marriage? Even my desire for remarriage. A desire for a different life. A desire to get outside of my own suffering. Pleasure. Comfort. Plain old selfishness. Over anything and anyone. Can be idolatry. I would really recommend also this little book on the Ten Commandments by Kevin DeYoung wrote it a few years ago. He has four little questions that help us diagnose the deities in our life. Who do you praise? Who receives your highest praise? Who do you count on or trust? Who do you call for? As in, where do you look for answers? Turn for purpose and joy. Who do you thank? Where do your good days come from and your bad days come from? Who do you thank for that? Those answers to those questions can reveal to us who our God is, what our idols are that we struggle with. And it could be anything. Part of what this first commandment is awakening us to is Well, what are they? And how do we confront them? Are we convicted to change our lifestyles as we are hit with the other nine commandments? We recognize we've broken the first one. To have no other gods before Him and to serve only Him with the whole heart and refuse all other idols. How do we have the strength to do this, though? I would offer finally that we have to rest in His Son. You might say, where do you get that in the first commandment? As members of the new covenant, we obviously will read these commandments through the lens of the cross. If we do truly believe in the one true God, and how, how do we serve Him with a whole heart and refuse all of these idols? We have to remember that this command was, was given after the preamble. We studied the preamble to the Ten Commandments back in November before Advent began. Who's giving them this first commandment? A capricious, evil monster? It's the one who saved them from Egypt, who rescued them already, who's claimed them as His own possession. This is their Redeemer who's saying, look at these other idols. They can't save you. They didn't save Egypt. I did save you. Follow me. Obey me. Worship me. 
with the whole heart. Give me everything. Give me all of your trust. Rest in me. I'm worth it. But now, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. We can keep this commandment because it's pointing us to the new covenant. Because we recognize we can't keep all of these commandments. Not perfectly. We don't have to. Someone's already kept them for us on our behalf. Who was it? Peter will tell us, 1 Peter 1, 18-19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You have been given a perfect life, an unblemished, perfect, blameless sacrifice to pay for all of the breaking of the commandments for you. And it came in a person, Jesus Christ. Look at his life. He broke none of the Ten Commandments. He kept them all perfectly. But his righteous record was given to you on the cross. Because he took our punishment, which is why he died. And yet he was raised on the third day for our justification. That in response to the preamble for the Israelites, and in response to his sacrifice for us, we would look at the first commandment and say, I want to stop the idolatry in my heart about that person or about that amount of money or about that job or about that recreational activity that's consuming all of my time. I want to worship the one true God. Those things can't do that for me. He has made me blameless because of the Son. Therefore, I want to worship Him and serve Him. In Lewis's uh, book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you'll remember towards the end, Eustace wakes up after sleeping on a dragon's hoard. It takes him a while somewhat to realize that he's actually turned into a dragon. He has smoke coming out of his nostrils. He's trying to communicate to everyone that, that I'm, I'm, I'm a dragon, but I'm not a dragon. I'm Eustace. But then he starts to do some self-reflection and realizes that after having blamed everyone else on the ship for all of his own problems, that the others had not really been fiends at all. Eustace began to wonder if he himself had been such a nice person, as he always supposed. He realized he hadn't just become a dragon. He had always been a dragon, and he was not the good guy that he thought he was. When we plumb the depths of our hearts for the first commandment and then wade into the controversy culturally of the next nine commandments, you might recognize you're a dragon in your own heart. But fear not. The spotless lamb 
was slain for you and me, that we would endeavor to actually keep these commandments with a whole heart, fully and only dedicated to him. Let us pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for these words that you have given to us. We thank you, God, for giving these words to Moses, but not doing away with them in the new covenant, as was plainly described to the rich young ruler, the Ten Commandments are alive and in force today. Lord, help us refrain from our sin, refrain from our idols, convict us of our sin, that we would walk as spotless lambs in mirror image of you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.